0: Hi everyone, this is Shereen Kadosi. I am here with Ali Abbas Taj. He's the editor at Lupak. And if Lupak sounds familiar, it's because last year their editor, their last editor, made headlines. Khoram Zaki was murdered outside, I believe it was a restaurant, by uh, by the opposition. Only because he spoke out, he he continued to do the work that we all need to be doing, which is advocating for free speech minority rights, and, and um, Khurram refused to leave the country. He decided to stay in Pakistan and continue to fight. Now, again, we are seeing uh, a backlash against dissident journalists in Pakistan and Ali, if you can go ahead and continue it from there.
1: Well, uh, thank you very much, Shreen. Uh, I am the editor-in-chief of uh, uh, Love Park, which is affectionately known as LUB, L-U-P-B-P. It was uh, one of the first independent blog sites to come up about political opinion in Pakistan, and Khurram Zaki was our editor in Pakistan. And uh, I'm here in the U.S., and my role was basically just to provide a platform and to administer the site. Uh, There were many bloggers that would contribute, many under pen name, uh, because of threats not from, uh, so much from the security establishment, but from the, uh, the Diobandi groups, which are the Wahhabi groups, uh, that have been, um, carrying out a campaign of mass murder against uh, Sunni Sufis, Shias, Ahmadiyya, uh, they've been doing forced conversion of Hindus, they have been Engaging in all types of violence, this is what Kuram Zaki stood against, and he was very open about it and finally he was uh, he he got a bullet uh, in fact uh, several bullets uh, so can, uh, you,
0: can you explain to the audience a lot of people know what Wahhabism is they they recognize that it comes out of Saudi Arabia, but can you explain to us what Diobandi is
1: well both uh, first of all you know if you um, put a million Muslims in a room and say, will the Wahhabi please raise their hands? Uh, there would be no one raising their hands. Maybe very few, maybe one. Um, but if, if you see the application of Wahhabism, that Wahhabism is a pejorative term, uh, and nobody's gonna say, I'm, I'm a Wahhabi. Uh, but, uh, what people are going to say is that they are either Divandi or, or Salafi. And uh, it is the, and not all Salafis are like that, not all Deobandis are like that. A lot of them are very moderate. But those that follow the extreme teachings of Abdul Wahab within the Salafis and the Deobandis um, tend to gravitate towards groups like ISIS, groups like um, Al-Shabaab. There's about 30 groups. So one of the mistakes that the MSM, not mistakes, but I believe it is intentional, that they make is they try to categorize these violent groups by their names and get people all confused. And this is exactly why people don't know what a Devandi is or what a Salafi is uh, and they've been, uh, you know, basically uh, chasing after these brand names like ISIS, like Al-Qaeda, like uh, Taliban, but really we are finding and uh, through social media, through people like yourself, people have come to understand that these groups are defined by their common ideology, which is they want to establish um, a oppressive caliphate, and they will not tolerate dissent. And that is exactly uh, why Khuram Zaki, Irfan Ali Khudi, our bloggers gave their lives, that they they want to have a different opinion. And uh, these nine bloggers that are now missing, are either missing uh, through some collusion with the state or uh, the recent promotion within the security establishment um, uh, by the nawaz sharif government of these takfiri the uh, uh, deobandi groups so deobandis essentially are the wahhabis of uh, southeast asia in in one sentence in there, there is no salafis really to speak of in southeast asia Which is the area from Pakistan all the way to Bangladesh. Most of them come from a school called the Deobandi School, which was uh, created in the town of Deoband, which is actually in India. Mm -hmm. And uh, all all these people, all these people, which are from Bangladesh to Pakistan, including India, are culturally the same. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows that. And this Deobandi influence is basically been exacerbated in 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 Pakistan especially because all of the taliban which were formerly actually supported by the united states and they were branded mujahideen uh, to fight the russians they were all without exception from the deobandi school of thought mm-hmm. and uh, some of them were radicalized and they were further radicalized uh, and they are now being sought after again unfortunately By some elements in our own government, which we have seen from uh, this uh, leaked audio of John Kerry um, that uh, I I sent you earlier, in which he admits, you know, we've been recruiting and supporting the ISIS fighters as counterweights.
0: So are you saying that some of these former Mujahideen who may have left uh, the Taliban, which again, you were saying that it doesn't really matter what groups they're under so much as the ideology, the overarching ideology that they follow and the doctrine of war. So are you saying mm-hmm. that some of these are now sort of colluding with ISIS or falling under the banner of ISIS? Which Yes, absolutely. Which into, okay.
1: In fact, there is the Red Mosque in Islamabad uh, which openly recruits and openly uh, advocates following Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi as the caliph, and uh, they don't they don't really say they're ISIS. They just say he's the caliph. We got to follow it, and we are the real Muslims. So the people that they're brainwashing or indoctrinating, they think they're doing it for for Islam. They're, they they think they're doing it for Allah. So they're you know basically uh, you can't fight uh, this idea. With any kind of bomb. In fact, what has happened is that uh, governments, including our own government, have been using these people for their own uh, proxy wars in Libya uh, and certainly in Syria. And, and it's very government, unfortunate.
0: by our own government you mean the United States?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we have the evidence from WikiLeaks, uh, the, in the leaked emails of Hillary Clinton where uh, she uh, is acknowledging that she knows that the Saudis and the Qataris have been funding ISIS. And what are they doing? What do they mean by that? They, have, they are going and paying madrasas in Pakistan, which is the hinterland where they breed these people. Um, uh, just to give you an example, the Deobandis constitute only 20%, maybe even 10% of uh, of Pakistani population. But their madrasas are about 80 or 90 percent. There is about 6,000 Diobandi madrasas, and there is, you know, less than a thousand Shia and Sufi Sunni madrasas combined. There's only 40 or so Shia madrasas and about 250 Sunni or Sufi madrasas or religious schools. But there is 6,000 Diobandi madrasas. What are these people doing?
0: Which I'm also sorry? ties back Which also ties back into the education problem that Pakistan has, is that it has a high illiteracy problem, very limited education access for people who aren't incredibly wealthy. So if you can go somewhere, get a free education, get shelter, That's get food, right. you're going to go to one of these madrasas.
1: And the driver is uh, people like Saudi Arabia. And uh, unfortunately, it's very sad and embarrassing for me to say that uh, the Hillary Clinton uh, uh re- thinking, which was followed by Kerry, um, mm-hmm. you know, they used these things, people and, you know, Hillary Clinton did Libya with these people. These people have now destroyed Libya. And then she, she declared it was a great success. It's not a great success.
0: People. Can we go back to the Red Fort? Red Fort sounds familiar to anyone? If it's, uh, yes,
1: it's a sorry, red mosque. It's yes. a red Islamabad. mosque in Islamabad.
0: Right. If it sounds familiar. It is... If it sounds familiar, it's because San Bernardino, uh, one of the jihadis, Tashin Malik, was said to have mm-hmm. been educated there. So this isn't absolutely. just something that's a Pakistani problem. This is something that would you agree is is affecting the war in Syria. It's affecting wars elsewhere. It's it's coming back home to us here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and likewise, you know, uh, the same teachings are influencing lone wolves. But there are people who are actually trained in these madrasas whether we make those connections or not um in the case of tafsheen malik there is a clear connection where uh, she was trained in um the, uh, the Ubandi mosque of uh, uh, the red mosque or the lal masjid in islamabad similarly the osu shooter the the uh, i believe he was ethiopian or some Pramantian. african country uh, i'm sorry
0: Pramantian? He was, he was Somalian who had then... He was uh,
1: Somalian, yes. Okay, Africa. that's right. The Somali, yes, he went to Karachi and he was trained in the Banuri Mosque, which is again a Deobandi Mosque. So uh, is Pakistan has become the training ground. It's an industry. It's an industry. And those people are being churned out and the Nawaz Sharif government has been promoting these people in the various intelligence agencies, the army the police so when these people get into those kinds of positions of power Mm -hmm. they're answering to Allah when they are picking up these bloggers and teaching them a lesson and uh, you know for all we uh, we know this because Sayyid Maratab, who was uh, who had gone to a pilgrimage in Iraq uh, to the to the Sufi and Shia shrines there and he had um, uh, done some uh, Facebook journalism, if you will, and condemned ISIS. And mm-hmm. he was abducted by uh, some police type people. We don't even know if they were police, if they were some, uh, there were some, there are various agencies in Pakistan. And he, on November 30th, and then he was severely beaten and released about five, six weeks later. For what? For posting stuff against ISIS. Yeah. Did the government. There was I'm something sorry? very.
0: There was something very interesting you were telling me last time I was talking to you, and that was about the red mosque and the the boundary wall that it shares with Pakistani intelligence. Can you tell me more That's about right.
1: that? That's right. There is a absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the boundary wall they share, but the red mosque is kind of symbol uh, uh, a symbol of the problem. But there's 6,000 red masks all over the country. And the, uh, uh, the intelligence agencies, the government agencies, they have to tolerate them. Because there's such a high demand for the takfirism they produce. Because these are, e- these, these are batteries when whatever their head mullah tells them they should fight, that becomes the jihad. And mm-hmm. they can, they're easily viable, cheap warriors to go on and do the land fight in places like Libya, in places like Yemen, in places like Syria, and then, you know, go for your political objectives. But, uh, you know, this is a terrible situation. It has um, put the United States in a very, very bad light internationally. Not only that, we've lost the war in Syria. We're losing ground. Everywhere We're losing our global influence and power simply because by taking a wrong path, we will not achieve the right result. Up I, until feel like it, sorry.
0: I feel like it also fuels the conspiracy theories that we get from a lot of Muslims in that rather than accepting accountability for, for the ideology and for the doctrine, they're going to point fingers to how how America is a sponsor of terror. And, and while it seems absolutely ludicrous, when we allow these madrassas to continue and we, through Kerry's own recording that anyone can go and Google, we use ISIS as, as proxies against what we perceive as bigger enemies, then how are we not fueling terror? We,
1: it is very unfortunate, and that's why I'm hopeful that in the new Trump administration, He'll reach across the aisle to, uh, good people in the Democratic Party, the real progressives, uh, the uncorrupt ones like Tulsi Garbert, who has a bill in Congress which is, which says clearly that U.S. taxpayer dollars will not go towards, uh, funding the Al-Qaeda or ISIS type people. So he needs to do that. Otherwise, he will be constantly blackmailed by McCain-type corrupt Republicans who have their pictures standing next to known Al Qaeda operatives, and he's uh, kind of uh, putting the makeup that these are, uh, you know, rebels and freedom mm-hmm. fighters. They're not, and, and we've been doing that. We've been playing that game, and what ha- what it has gotten us? It, I mean, what has it helped the United States? No. If you just look at it from the point of view, does it help us? It does not. Up until 2015, Putin was sitting in Moscow. Uh, He he was a gas station with nuclear weapons. They have no technology. They have nothing. They're not a superpower. We are a superpower. But we have gone into bed with the Saudis, and we have uh, done all all this bad stuff, which is now coming out. And this has really ruined our reputation uh, to the extent that it we're in an indefensible position, and Putin has marched down to Damascus, and we have given him that opening by siding with the wrong side.
0: What can by, Pakistan by doing... do in the, in the next four years? Pakistan what
1: is, what is you... Pakistan, Pakistan is a poor him. country. The one thing they can do is get Nawaz Sharif out of power, which you know who has clearly um, you know uh, put out. Uh, the, the outgoing chief of the army uh, to head the uh, uh, the coalition army of Saudi Arabia. Now, what what is that? Uh, he's renting out Pakistan army, and that's kind of what's going on. You know, Pakistan army. Uh, he is promoting uh, th- this type of people. Uh, he's and this happened during uh, the the former dictator General Ziaul Haq, who actually is the spiritual godfather of Nawaz Sharif. And he promoted these guys who, you know, you would not be able to get on camera because it's against their religion. So they're they're promoting those types of people in various areas, and those are the types of people that are infiltrating and uh, abducting these generals. Not because of anybody says so, but simply because against the religion, Um, if somebody makes a dissenting statement, if somebody uh, says, for example, "Oh, you know, I don't agree that you should," Uh, enforce this or enforce that, you know, just very basic things. Like uh, if somebody says, oh, you should not oppress the Ahmadiyya, then immediately that person will fiddle in the eyes of those guys, and those guys have some power. They have a uniform. They go and uh, get into a uh, a van, hire a couple of thugs from uh, the, the local red mosque, and abduct a journalist. For the next four weeks, he's been beaten up and tortured. And either he's going to be killed or he's going to be quieted and silenced. Either way, we've lost a powerful voice.
0: And that's a really important point here with with this news that's come out where there's another wave of violence and, and oppression against dissident journalists is that these are the journalists who are the only voices in Pakistan who are defending minority rights, um, gay and lesbian, transgendered, Amadisia, Sunni. That's it. There is nobody else.
1: Pakistan, like India, like Bangladesh, well, Bangladesh to a lesser extent, but Pakistan, like India, has a great diversity and a, uh, a Sufi tradition that goes back over a thousand years. And, and uh, it's very, it's been a very, very tolerant place, really, up until uh, Ziaul Haq. And yes, of course, there were some problems. Uh, in the, the direction that was set towards Islamization even before that. But it, it remained uh, a very tolerant place. Americans were very welcome there. I grew up there, and, uh, and my friends, actually, I went to an international school, so my friends that were Westerners, British, American, were very welcome in the bazaars in the 70s and 80s, and uh, there was no problem what changed uh, i'm sorry what changed what changed is that uh, after the afghan war there was this massive investment into deobandi madrasas so you know even today when you say they, these bloggers call for minority right. rights actually they are the majority even today it, over 80% of the population in pakistan uh, especially in the rural areas are completely Sufi or Shia or Christian or Hindu. There is great big Hindu pockets, um, and uh, the Hindu Hindus in Pakistan are also very Sufi friendly, and they, you know they have been tortured. Their women have been kidnapped and forced into conversion by this this armed minority, which is mm-hmm. the, the one the extremists. They're not the majority, so. When Khuram Zaki was standing there and these bloggers were saying, oh, you know, we, we we don't really agree that you should force women to do this or do that, or, uh, you know, just very simple things. They were representing mm-hmm. the majority, not the minority. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, it, but they have been subdued by this armed uh, um, minority of extremist deobandis that are funded totally by Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Um, In our mainstream media, which is completely compromised, we can't stop talking about Putin, but why don't we talk about Saudi Arabia, which owns uh, about five of the six main corporations that produce the media over here? That's probably why we don't talk about
0: So if Nawaz Sharif is out, the next person who comes in could have some impact. Who is that next person in your eyes? Who would be a good... Well, let's
1: take a step back and see how the elections that drove nawaz sharif into power when nawaz sharif came into power the takfiri groups actually kidnapped the son of the prime minister of the the the, the then prime minister of yusuf raza gilani who was from the moderate secular type people's party which has been the biggest party in pakistan for a long time and the prime minister benazir bhutto was killed when she was uh, uh, and 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 uh, when she was running for the election his son was kidnapped so imagine uh, president obama running for uh, running for his second term and his two daughters are god forbid kidnapped by extremists would he really be able to run so so the elections are kind of a sham uh, because the secular parties the liberal parties were completely shot out people were killed people were kidnapped by these extremist groups so the weapons have proliferated so much that uh there there is no space to to voice uh reason to voice um something that makes sense if you don't listen to them if you don't play by the rules if you say anything if you talk about uh, feminism, if you talk about, uh, LGBT rights are simply out of the question. Even if you talked about, well, let's not oppress our women, you're again, you're immediately anti-Islam. You're, you're I mean, Recently, the, the People's Party still has some, uh, I mean, I'll give you another example. People's Party still has some clout in Sin, and in the Sin province, which is actually still uh, remains to be fairly liberal, um uh, they, they proposed a bill which was for the protection of minority rights. The the, the governor, who was appointed by Nawaz Sharif from the center, from the Punjab, which is the hub of these madrasas, uh, vetoed the bill. So so there you have it. I mean, it, I, I honestly think it's very, very difficult for any um, um, political force to rise if you keep killing them. I mean, how can a politician run for office if you are kidnapping uh, his or her kids and you are killing everybody that's saying something different? You're uh, kidnapping bloggers. Uh, So it's a very, very difficult and complex situation. Uh, It
0: is. I would agree completely. And even if we can say, well, Trump can support the, the opposition voices, it's a different thing. Being Pakistani, having lived in Pakistan, still having family there, it's a nice idea to have the support from a superpower even if that superpower starts giving its promises. But the day-to-day is you by yourself in, in a walled uh, compound, which is everyone's home, basically. They live in these walled compounds, and you have security guards, and you, there is no security, end of the day. You know, if somebody wants to come and attack you, they're going to come and attack you. And all these novel ideas of having a superpower support are great. Which brings me to the other question I have, is when we look at back society, we see such a sort of um, – juxtaposition between the the poor and then the incredibly wealthy. So if you go on Instagram, for example, and you you know, hashtag Pakistani society, there is immense wealth. And if you look at the photos, you know, these women are they're not covered up. They're they're very glamorous. Um, we live a pauper's lifestyle compared to them. So is there a duty on, on that population to to do something? And when you talk to Pakistani elite society, there's a complete disconnect between how they live and what the country, you know, really is like. Can you clarify that a little bit?
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, part of that comes from the the British Raj and the British Raj, and, and even before that. I mean, before that is feudalism. So the feudalism was ideal for the British Raj to use and create a a, a class that is the elite class. And Pakistan still works like that. There's an elite class. If uh, somebody's father and mother and grandfather and grandparents were wealthy, they would get a good position in the government. They would, uh, you know, doors would be open to them. So a class is created, And they are totally sensitive to uh, the poor and the downtrodden. Uh, To give you an example, uh, there are, homes, wealthy homes in Pakistan, in fact, majority of them, they would even, uh, they they have house servants that they treat very badly, they have even different utensils for them to eat, Um, there's extreme prejudice towards somebody that is poor, and that is part of the problem of the fact, I mean, like I said, it's a very complex issue, and what you bring up is a very good point, Is it's really... Uh, a very big part of the problem when the elite uh, in Pakistan uh, look down upon anybody that is poor as somebody that is almost untouchable. And part of that comes from the caste system in India, part of that comes from the feudal system in India, and then later on exacerbated by the Raj where they found these elites to be uh, useful tyrants, if you will, and they've continued to. Um, Now, there are some exceptions. For for example, Benazir Bhutto and her family, while being powerful and strong, have offered great sacrifice. She sacrificed her life. Uh, Salman Tasir, the governor um, on the PPP side, took a stand for a Christian woman who was falsely uh, accused of blasphemy. By falsely, I mean that uh, the charge against her is totally trumped up. And for the past, I, I believe it's almost like eight years now, She's sitting in jail, and one of the reasons she's sitting in jail, provided to me by some very well-meaning people, um, is that the, if we let her out, she'll be killed by these uh, uh, the vandi thugs that run around. Are uh, you talking so, about so,
0: Asia Bibi?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm talking about Asiya Bibi, and uh, Governor Salman Taseer was killed for that, and. Uh, the, uh, the, the cleric, the hate cleric that is on the media and partners with the Navashri government, his name is Tahir Ashrafi. Um, he also advocated the death of Shabazz Bhatti, who was the People's Party Christian minister. The People's party promoted diversity, they had Christian ministers, and it's not long ago, it's like 10 years ago, and he was killed because Tahir Ashrafi Called for his murder. He, we have the videos. It's on our blog site, and nobody has ever investigated it. Nobody's ever discussed it. This, this is the this is the problem. And like I said, you know, we have a responsibility because we have been using these same type of people for for our political objectives. It's now proven through WikiLeaks, through leaked video of Kerry. And I think uh, President-elect Trump has a great responsibility to fix this situation. Um, I don't know if he will or if he won't. I don't know if he'll follow the old ways. But if, you had,
0: but, if you had 30 seconds with him and you had the chance to speak on this, what's the advice that you would give him? I mean, something that he can actually do tomorrow.
1: Well, he, it's not a short process but he has to reach across the aisle here, first of all, because there is Republicans and there is Democrats that are corrupt, and they're corrupted by these Saudis and these Wahhabis. Then uh, find the good coalition internationally with Putin, with Modi, with the big powers, with Brazil, with even with China, the, the big powers, and say, look, and, and, and I would again say, the SATA bill by Tul- Tulsi says it all, We cannot afford to arm terrorists. The more we arm terrorists, starting with Afghanistan and then all the way to Yemen and to Syria and Libya and all these regions, they have not achieved anything except more global terrorists. Uh, Whether you look at Europe or or the United States, it's just starting here. If we continue down this path, uh, there will be huge problems. And as, as Muslims, we have to speak out against this because we get it from both ends. Our people are being, one, radicalized there, two, slaughtered there, three, we we are being accused of uh, 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 Islamic terrorism, which is a word which is completely wrong. It should be the extremist, the and Salafi terrorism. It's nothing to do with Islam. This is an ideology which was created and induced by the British 170 years ago to to fight the Sikhs the Sikh Empire in Punjab, and to fight any enemy, they this, they found these people useful idiots. But it has gone too far. Can you clarify that are, a little bit,
0: that it was induced by the British Empire?
1: Well, we have clear indications that the, the Wahhabis, and they've always been sponsored, the Wahhabis, the Deobandis, the Salafis, by great powers, whether it is the British, it is the United States, even it is regional powers like Turkey, Iran, all the rest they, they all use these people because they're useful idiots. All you have to do is buy the mullah of, for example, the Red mask and say, "Now do jihad against that person. I'll give you five thousand dollars per person. Give me hundred people. He'll indoctrinate them.
0: would you not say though and that? Would you not say though that even if, if you know we're, we're using useful idiots, there's still a problem in the fundamental doctrine of war that it's not just one thing or another, it's two sides of the same coin, that while we can address the you know, the, the funding of extremist ideology, but we have to also look at where that ideology finds its place in religion.
1: Well, the ideology is placed there. For example, Ibn Wahab, or uh, Muhammad bin Ibn Wahab, um, was placed there. So, so basically he created a book, he wrote a book. The ideology is not, coming from uh, God forbid Prophet Muhammad. Our, our ideology is coming 700 years ago by a person called Ibn Taymiyyah and later on exacerbated by uh, Abdul Wahab uh, 170, 200 years ago. So yes, we have to fight the ideology, but we have to find the ideology as uh, extremist Salafi or extremist Diobandi. So these ideas, these, uh, the Devandi school was created in Deoband, India, in 1867. It didn't exist before that.
0: I feel, like if why? Had, I feel like if we had more conversations like this as Muslims, being able to have an exchange of ideas, being able to regenerate that scholarship that that existed in Islam, that would be part of the solution right there. What do you think about that?
1: Well, we 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 have have to have conversations, videos, movies, books, and uh, but my foundation. The
0: majority, the large majority of Muslims have no idea about the history. They,
1: they don't have, no have a idea. clue. They they all they get all their information from the MSM and the MSM on their direction, the cares of the world, the ismas and impacts of the world. That basically say, oh, you were not given Diet Pepsi on the plane. We'll go fight for your rights. While we're not going to talk about. Uh, all these <laughs> explosions going on.
0: How do we change that? I we? Mean, how do we? How do we? Deal
1: we with that? we have, and that's it's what so I was saying. I, I have. You see, all the money that comes in, that is Muslim money, is tied somehow to this same ideology. Um, all the money that comes into care either is coming in, for example, from Saudi sources or friends of Saudi sources. So, if there's businessmen giving. Money to care here. Uh, if you track it down, they have some business connections with Saudi Arabia, Qatar, or, or wherever. And same is the situation with most of the mosques here. So it's actually a very dangerous situation here because uh, in Pakistan and, and India, it's a little bit better. You you have still 80 percent. Despite all this madrasas and all this nonsense, the the population 80 percent is still Sufi or Shia. In the U.S. or in Europe, especially in Europe, especially in Brussels, especially in Paris, the situation is terrible because most of the mosques there, most of the mosques, majority of the mosques there are Salafi. They're not Sufi. They're not Shi. In America, it's a little bit better because we've had a lot of Sufi and Shia immigration here um, since the 1800s, so we have a big population here of Shis, and uh, the, about one third at least are Shis. So it's, uh, America is a little bit better, but Europe is completely in. In UK, for example, 42% BBC did a research on this. 42% of the mosques are Deobandi. and they want to create a caliphate in the UK. That's the goal. Would you
0: advocate yeah. shutting those mosques down? What would you? Absolutely,
1: would you... in a heartbeat.
0: What about the infringement on religious rights?
1: I uh, this is something. No, that, that that is something for um, the um, parliamentarians to work out. For the communities to work out. And if you have uh, an ideology um, like the KKK, for example, right? Mm-hmm. We don't say KKK are Christians, right? Likewise, we shouldn't say extremists the Ubandis are Muslims. I mean, they are of course Muslims, and KKK of course are Christians. But that's not how we define the KKK. When we talk about the KKK, we say these guys are racist. They lynch black people. It's not right. Similarly, the extremists, the Vandis, they they have to be shunned some, and shut down somehow. I'm not saying the government has to do it or mm-hmm. legislation. KKK was shut down through civil litigation. So we have to organize different creative ideas, have a multifaceted approach, and start with more education and um write books about it and for this we, we've written a book uh, we have sponsored uh, my my small tiny foundation which mm, I have you know really scraped with my personal resources to fund um, we've sponsored a book about it what's the back do, 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 do. the book is uh, about faith-based violence the rise of the mil militancy in Southeast Asia it's on Amazon and uh, so we, we're going to have seminars about it we're going to tell people that this thing was only created in 1867. This is not Islam. Islam came 1,400 years ago and is a continuation of the great Ibrahimic tradition of uh, Moses uh, as a Muslim. I am a Jew first. I am a Christian first. I have a lot of commonalities with Hindus who believe in the same, some of the same prophets that we believe in. The Vedas talk about the same stuff that Quran talks about. Most of the religions of the world are very much alike, this thing where only my version is correct started with the British pretty much in in the Deobandis in India and the extremist Salafis or Wahhabis in, in, in the Middle East to control people.
0: From what I've I feel like it started way before that. I feel like it became that started in the modern, you know, Western world around that time. But if we really look at Islamic history, the minute the Prophet died, this is where you know the division of who should be the successor, you know, who who would make the better caliphate, who is uh, whose ideas are stronger. That's when that sort of division in the fray really occurred. So, I, and I agree with you in the sense that we have to really carve out and carve away. Well, the extremist elements from what the core of Islam says.
1: Now you're, you're absolutely right that the, there was a great schism after the death of the Prophet. No, no, no issues with that. Okay, the the issue became resolved after the Abbasids threw out the Umayyads. So for a hundred years, the Umayyads ruled, and they uh, there was you know the hadith and. And the propagation of Islam was actually banned. And there is no uh, scholarship found in these 100-year rule mm-hmm. after the Prophet. And, and basically, uh, they were overthrown by the Abbasids, who weren't really good people, but they allowed the propagation of Islam. They accepted mm-hmm. the Prophet. and The Umayyads that came immediately after the Prophet did not accept the Prophet they were actually the enemies. So the, the people that were defeated in Mecca who were, uh, uh, you know, Abu Sufyan and uh, his descendants, they were the ones who were behind uh, the rules, rulers that came after the Prophet and continued for a 100 years. Um, during this time, they, they said this was, you know, the Quran and Islam was just a way for the Quraysh to gain power. It's not real, blah, blah, blah. And, and nobody is allowed to talk about Hadith absolutely not allowed, that's this and that. So then when the Abbasid rebellion came, uh, about 100 years later, at that time one of the descendants of a Prophet, uh, uh, his great-great-great-grandson, uh, was, was able to create Islamic schools, and Islamic fiqh was written. Up until this time, there were no Shias or Sunnis, absolutely none. Everybody was a Muslim. So he wrote the fiqh, and the Abbasids gained power by overthrowing the Umayyads under the pretext that they will restore the Caliphate to the descendants of the Prophet. But when they actually got the the, the Caliphate, they didn't want to do it. So they didn't want to um, give the Caliphate back to Imam Jaffa Sadiq, who was the descendant. So what they did was they imprisoned his son um, uh, after Imam Jaffa Sadiq had passed away and created uh, the ismaili schism and on the other side they brought in one of the students of uh, uh, imam jafar sadiq who was imam abu hanifa and who became the main is, is the founder of the sunni faith so the sunni faith actually comes from the caliphate side the Shi'i faith comes from the imamite side but the main faith is the same because abu hanifa or imam abu hanifa was a student of Imam Jafar Sadiq, he got all his fiqh from him. Mm-hmm. So the fiqh or the way we do salat or the way we, uh, do, uh, fasting or any of these things, uh, there's some small differences. In fact, uh, but it's actually exactly the same between the Shia and Sunni. In fact, there is more differences within the Sunni than between Shia and the Sunni. The, the, after Abu Hanifa, there were three other Imams and there's more differences between these three other imams, which are Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, um, and uh, Imam Humble. so I feel and like
0: Imam Abu so as a side note, it, you know, when we go into the history, and I think that would be a great second phone call with you, is to really kind of dig into that. <laughs> sure, it, sure,
1: we got um, on sidetrack.
0: Yeah, but it's really important because this this is where the modern day problems come from. It's not just one moment in time. It's it's a it's sort of a domino effect. Even when we're talking about the history, you know, the sure the, sure but...
1: the invention,
0: the invention of, the, invention of uh, the political Islam through the caliphate. These are all, you know, these are all pieces of the domino. And whereas the the Quran itself was meant to be really simple, the message of Islam was meant to be really simple, and it becomes polluted over time. There's there's a sheikh called Uttman Khan of Critical Loyalty who has a great analogy where he talks about Islam as the idea was a, a snowball. And over time, through all these events that we're talking about, even till the present day, that snowball rolled down the hill and it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And today we're at a point where we're looking at this giant monstrosity that you know everyone's labeling Islam, and we're expected to somehow carve all the, all the innovations and extremism away and go back to the original snowball. Now, if you did this actually in person with a real snowball, you would think you're mad, this can't, this can't be happening, but that's really the challenge is, is first carving away the extremism, tackling it through, through any sort of legal and political channels, and then at the same time, the second front is digging into the philosophy of Islam, the history of Islam, and so it's really a two-front war when it comes to dealing with extremism.
1: No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I would just say that you know your analogy of dominoes and snowball is absolutely correct, but I, they, I would say it's not a linear projection. So right. the, when the when the Abbasids brought in the, the Sunni imams, their differences were not so bad. The Moorish Spain, which happened for I, I believe four to seven hundred years, the Jews, the Christians, and Muslims lived together. In perfect harmony, right? So there, there are long periods of time. So snowball isn't like a linear thing. Right. So no, and this is
0: time. and this is actually a really good point that you bring up. That there was, you know, when we talk about Jews and Christians, the the sort of great moment of, of the Islamic civilization that actually extremists use to to uh, make Islam the supremacist idea. Well, this great period of Islamic civilization was. One of the reasons it occurred was because of the incredibly rich exchange with even Greek philosophy, with, with um, different cultures and different faiths. So that sort of mixture of ideas is in part one of the reasons that, uh, you know, Islam was really sort of, it, it became as it did, I mean, in both the good and the bad context in terms of, uh, you know, the ideas didn't just become ideas, they be, they become woven into the faith, and they actually uh, frayed the faith a little bit further, but as a concept, that level of philosophy that we had uh, was, was there because of this rich exchange.
1: Absolutely. So what I'm trying to say is that when you say we have to you know, go back to the well, – we don't really have to go back so far. Even if mm-hmm. we went as far back as Morris went, uh, you know, we, we would be living in a pretty happy place as Muslims, Christians, and Jews together and Hindus and other faiths, people of no faith, and uh, it wouldn't be a problem. The uh, the, the problem really, the biggest, is so, so in a way, when you say, uh, you know, people deviated or innovated, yes, it's fine. Some, we don't care. I mean, like, if there are some innovations that still allow us to coexist, it's no problem. Right. Um, we don't have to go that far. But these particular innovations, which were clearly used by, Imperialist powers like the British, and unfortunately, we inherited some of that from the British. Um, these the, these people are really terrible, and these are the people that did nine eleven. These are the people that did San Bernardino, Florida, Fort Hood, all these things. If you look at all of the terrorism globally in the U.S., it belongs to one ideology, mm-hmm. and that ideology you can pinpoint to to the subcontinent and the Middle East, the the and Salafi extreme. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have to go to these people and say, look, you know, you have to either reform from inside, otherwise this thing cannot go on. And I don't know what that mechanism is. We're not there yet. But I think there's a big responsibility for our leaders. And the only way President-elect Trump can do it is by reaching across the aisle, and reaching out to people like Putin and the leaders of China, the leaders of Brazil. Believe it or not, a lot of this is going on in South America as well, in mm-hmm. places like Mexico. Um, Islam is a very fast-growing religion, and uh, it is it is going to exceed Christianity in 2050. And if, you know, 10, 5, 20% of them are very radical in their views, excuse me, subscribing to the Salafi extremism or that they want the devandi extremism—it's going to be a problem. If you mm-hmm. have twenty percent of three billion people, that's six hundred million people. That's a lot of people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Ali, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. You um We'll link you. to your Twitter so everyone can follow you and stay up to date. And if there's anything else that develops, please feel free. We'll we'll get on the call again and and hash it out.
1: Look forward to it. Thank, Thank you. you.